that in verse 1 of chapter 1 of James. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. In these first four verses, we have the introduction of James. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have who this is written to, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. So this is obviously written to a mainly Jewish audience, being it's written to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. But uh, even more so than that, James here says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And if this had been me, or you for that matter, that's probably how we would have introduced this letter. James, or Spencer, or Vern, or whoever, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. I'm important. Jesus was my half-brother. James don't begin like that. He says, he says, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. This would be the, the Jews of the, the diaspora. A lot of people think the diaspora was uh, a time. Uh, and that's not it at all. The diaspora was the regions round about uh, uh, what we refer to nowadays as Palestine. But it was the regions round about uh, uh, Jerusalem and, and that general area. That was referred to as the diaspora. And he's talking to the 12 tribes or the Jews, uh, the, the, the sons of Jacob or the children of Jacob, which are scattered around those different regions there, which we commonly, commonly refer to uh, now as the diaspora. He says, my brethren, in verse, verse two, he says, my brethren. Now, remember in verse one, we said that James describes himself as the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says nothing about being the half-brother of Jesus Christ, but here he's tickled to pieces, it seems, to refer to himself as a brother to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Reading, he's writing to fellow believers here. He's not writing to people which are still caught up in Jewry or Judaism. He's writing to, to uh, those that have a like faith as he has, and he refers to them as brethren. Never once does he mention in these five chapters, that he's the half-brother of Jesus Christ, but he refers to fellow believers as his brethren. And I think, I think that states volumes. But he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, what kind of statement is that? If I were to ask everybody in here this morning how your day was going, how you felt when you got up, more than likely everybody in here is going to have a complaint some kind. Well, my knee was locked up. My head hurt. Something's going on with our body. Something's going on with our minds. Every one of us would, myself included. Missy will testify. The first thing I usually say when I wake up in the morning is I hate it. Hate what? Getting up. I hate waking up. I like my sleep. But he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. How hard slash how easy is it for us to do that? As a child of God, it should be easy for us. And for, for these Jews that James would have been writing to, these uh, 
converted Jews, I should say, uh, uh, they would have had a better understanding of what he was saying than, than what we do now. We've, we've gotten so spoiled in the society that we live in now and in the time and the age that we live in now, and I blame a lot of it on microwaves and drive-throughs, we've become spoiled. We expect everything lickety-split at, at, our, at our own whim. We want everything as fast as possible. And, you know, if we don't get it, then we'll pitch a fit. And shame on us for having that attitude. But he says, uh, uh, count it all joy. Count it joy. Count it happiness. Count it a blessing Amen. when you fall into diverse temptations. Not just a temptation, but a, a multitude of temptations. Many colors of temptations. Count it joy when you fall into these things. Why is that? Well, he goes on throughout, or really throughout the, the entire first chapter of explaining that. He says, count all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. What's the trying of our faith? Well, these, uh, these converted Jews he would have been writing to would have had a, a very good understanding of this. The trying of your faith worketh patience. There was a lot of persecution going on, but it wasn't just the persecution. It wasn't just persecution of, of Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes coming against believing Jews, uh, Jews that believed in Jesus Christ. It wasn't just that, but that would, that would have been a big part of it. But it's any temptation that comes their way. This would have been a trial, not a temptation to do evil that James was talking about. It was a trial that they were facing, a trial that is testing their faith. And he, said, he says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That's why we should joy in it. That's why we should joy in trials when they come our way. Because God can use that trial or that test. God can use that temptation to work patience in our lives. And patience is something that we always need. I tell, I've heard people say they're going to pray for patience. I'm like, well, that's a really bad idea. Let God give that patience as he sees fit because if you're praying for patience, chances are there's going to be a trial come your way. And ain't none of us wants that, myself included. But when they do come our way, let God use those things to, 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 to strengthen our patience, to strengthen our endurance under these things. And we'll, uh, we'll read more about that on through the first chapter of James here. But the trying of our faith works patience in our lives. And it says, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So when these trials, when these temptations, when, these, when persecution, when any of these things come our way, let God use these things, much like he did with Joseph over in the book of Genesis. My goodness, Joseph, his brothers hated him. He was thrown into prison. Well, first he was sold into slavery. Then he was thrown into prison, and he stayed in prison. But when he came out, God used those things. God used those things while, while he was going through them, too. But when he came out, Joseph basically became vice president of planet Earth. President being Pharaoh, he was second in command of the most powerful country, the most powerful regime, the most powerful army, the most powerful everything on planet Earth. He was second in command of that. Amen. But what did God use to train him for that? He used trials. 
He used trial after trial after trial in Joseph's life. But when Joseph finally rose to that power in the book of Genesis, God had used those trials to train him so that Joseph would know what to do when the time came. That's, what, that's, how, that's why we can rejoice. We can count it all joy, as the scripture here says, when we fall into diverse temptations, knowing that God is not only able, but for his children, he will use those trials to, to, to help us get closer to the perfection that we're to be striving for, to get closer to being molded in the image of his son, to, uh, to, to be more like Jesus Christ, more like the scriptures command us to be. So instead of saying, why me, Lord, whenever these diverse temptations uh, come upon us, instead of saying, why me, why this, why now, count it all joy. Count it all joy. And folks, that preaches to me just like it does you. I ain't sitting here telling you I do that during every temptation or every trial that I face because I don't. I don't act very Christ-like when temptations come my way or when trials come my way. But I should, according to the scriptures. And the more I, the more I do and the more trials I face, that's the patience that we're talking about. That's the endurance that we're talking about. I say, well, God brought me through this two or three months ago. Why don't I believe that he'll bring, it, bring me through this right now that's going on in my life? We tend to forget that. And once again, I blame that a lot uh, uh, on the, the times that we live in. Because we're spoiled. We are spoiled. We're spoiled as a nation. Truth be known, we're spoiled as believers in Christ. We're spoiled on so many different levels. To think that we are beyond trial. And to think that God has something against us if a trial comes our way. That's the way the Jews believed. That's the, really it wasn't even just the, the Jews. It was a Near East belief. The whole region over there, whether you were Jewish or not, back in the Old Testament days, if a woman had no children, that the, the gods or God himself had an issue with her. She had sinned against God, and this was her punishment, to not have children. And that's why women without children were looked down upon uh, uh, back then. Folks, that had nothing to do with it. it had nothing at all to do with it. That was, that was just another trial for those that believed, like Hannah. For those that believed, it was a trial that they faced. And what do those trials do? It worked patience in their lives. And it drove them to God that they would pray the more earnestly for his favor in their lives. And by saying favor, I'm not talking about riches and cars and houses and all these other things. I want the favor of God. I, and I've got the favor of God through Jesus Christ. I, as a New Testament believer, have the favor of God. But it is only through him through Jesus Christ, that I have that. If any of you, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Verse 5, that's a very important statement there in the first line of verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, if any of you lack wisdom, if any of who? 
I've heard this verse misquoted so many times. It's misquoted. People say, well, the Bible says if any man lacks wisdom, no, that ain't what it says. It says if any of you, who's he writing to? Believers in Christ. Amen. So what is wisdom? It's not knowledge. Folks, I knew this book better than most professing Christians that I knew before I was saved. I knew the historical aspect of it. I knew who the Jews were. I knew where the Jews came from. I knew uh, I knew the kings of Judah. I knew the, the kings of the northern and southern kingdoms. I, I knew all kinds of things about this book. That was knowledge. But I didn't have wisdom. I didn't know Jesus Christ. I didn't know God. So there is a vast difference between having knowledge and having wisdom. Wisdom is something that is given by God. Bible plainly tells us that here. If any of you, if any of you who believe, remember he's writing to believers, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. I have to pray that prayer every time I stand to teach Amen. or every time I stand to preach. And that prayer is what gets me through any lesson or any sermon that I preach. God, I lack wisdom and I need it from you. Amen. I need wisdom from you. To, to, to interpret your scripture, to understand your scripture, so that I can feed others with your scripture, whether I'm teaching or preaching. Amen. I pray that prayer every time before I stand to, to, to teach or preach, either one, because I lack wisdom, and I realize that I lack wisdom. What do you think of? What, what scriptures or accounts in scripture or stories in scripture do you think of when you think of wisdom? I always think of Solomon. Every time the word wisdom pops up, he's the first one that I think of. Amen. God asked him uh, in a dream, in a dream that Solomon had. God, uh, uh, God asked him, you know, what he wanted. He said, yeah, I'll give, give you whatever it is that you want. And Solomon asked for wisdom. To do what? To lead God's people. And that's what I think of every time the word wisdom pops up in Scripture. scripture every time I hear it out in the world, I always think of Solomon. And I always think I need to be more like that. I need to be, and I know we shouldn't model ourselves after men, but as far as that goes, I need to be more like Solomon. I need to ask God for wisdom to not only lead God's people, but to lead other people to God. Amen. To lead people to the scriptures that can save them, and to lead people to the scriptures that shows that they are saved, whether they're saved or lost. I need wisdom to lead people. And we all need that. But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally. Folks, he ain't stingy with his wisdom. If we want it. Now remember, I'm talking about believers in Christ. If we want wisdom, God will give it to us liberally. He will dump it out on us. He'll dump it into us. He will give us as much wisdom as we are earnestly seeking after. But, says let him ask of God how many of us are asking of God for that wisdom or how many of us just expected had a, a, a text conversation with brother Vernon not too long ago and uh, I told Vernon then I said you know open up thy mouth and I will fill it doesn't mean what most people think that it means if you think that a, a teacher or a preacher just wakes up Sunday morning with knowledge that they didn't have the night before. That ain't how it works. Amen. That is not how it works. 
If any teacher or preacher of God's word doesn't keep his nose in this book and his nose to the grind, and not only reading the pages of scripture, but in prayer, asking God for wisdom, if he's not doing those things, there ain't going to be much mouth filling happening. If we, if we don't spend time with God in his word and in prayer, Amen. you know, if we have anything in our mouth, like Brother Burns said, it would likely be our foot. And that's happened to me before. It's a, it's a very haughty and prideful thing to think for, for any preacher to stand up and think, I've got this. Amen. I've, right. got, I've got this. Uh, let, him ask him, uh, let him ask him faith, nothing wavering. Let him ask him faith. Folks, if we ask God for wisdom, but we ain't got faith that he's going to give it to us, he might as well not be asking. And the same goes with anything. With any prayer that we've got to God, if we go to God and we're asking God to help us get the bills paid, we're asking God for healing for a family member or for ourselves, if we're asking God for anything and we don't have the faith that he's going to come through with, we're wasting our breath, we're wasting our time. We ask these things in faith, nothing wavering. Nothing wavering, not me wavering, not my faith wavering, nothing about me wavering, me going to God, knowing that he is creator of this universe, knowing that he put breath in my body, knowing that he has gotten me X amount of time through my life, knowing he's gotten me this far, I can go in faith to God and ask him for this wisdom. Remember, we're still, we're still on that subject matter here. And ask him for wisdom, and he will give it to me liberally. He will dump out as much wisdom as I want as long as I'm asking it in faith. It says, Nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Who is one that wavers? Generally speaking, we'll get into that here in the next few verses, but generally speaking, one that wavers is one that when everything is going good in their life, all the bills are paid, Kids are healthy, grandkids are doing good, mom and dad's great, everything's going good, job's wonderful, making 120K a year, got a house, got eight cars, got a yacht, everything's going great in this life. That's somebody that's just right up there on top of the mountain with God. They give God all the praise that they're going to have. What happens the next day, they lose their 120K a year job. They blame God. That's someone that wavers. That's someone, <coughs> if you ask me, my personal opinion, they're not even set to the faith. They're not even a, a true believer. That's somebody that, uh, you know, they're, they're grading their salvation on what blessings they've received. Folks, I was blessed when I was lost out in the world. I was blessed to be alive and not be in hell because that's what I deserved. I received blessing from God before I was ever saved. And so did you. Everyone else did. Everyone that is alive right now on planet Earth that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior is blessed of God. The Bible teaches that it rains on the just and it rains on the unjust. Everyone, everyone receives blessings of God, whether they're saved or they're lost. Now, favor with God is a whole different story. Lost don't have God's favor. You read in John 17, Jesus said himself, he said, I pray not for the world, 
Jesus doesn't make intercession for the lost at the right hand of the Father. He makes intercession for those which belong to him. Because I pray not for the world. I'm not praying. I'm not up there making intercession for the lost. His intercession for the lost has already been made on a cross at Calvary. But now, in the life that he lives now, according to Romans chapter 5, his current life, his present life, making intercession, being mediator, for whom? For the saints of God, for those that believe. So, yes, I have favor with God that the world doesn't have. That the entire world, lost or saved, they've all got the blessings of God. But he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea. Like a wave of the sea. You never know how high those waves are going to be. You never know exactly how far up on the shore they're going to go or how far back on the shore they might go. You don't know how strong they're going to be or how weak they're going to be. The sea is, is a, a very mystic thing to us humans. Not only the waves that we're talking about here, but everything that lies underneath, uh, underneath the, the, the surface of the sea. It's a very mystic, mystic thing for us, including the waves that crash on the shoreline. We, don't, we know very little about those waves, but there's one thing that we do know. They're going to come and they're going to go. They're going to come up, they're going to hit the shore. Sometimes a high tide, it's further up in the sand. Low tide, it's further back in the sand. But we know that they're going to come. But that's not what James is talking about here, what we know about. He's talking about what we don't know about. Those that waver are like a wave of the sea. We don't know much about it. For, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Folks, that's a strong statement. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. If we go to God and we're wavering, we're wavering in our faith, we're wavering in, in our belief, we're wavering here and wavering there, and we're wavering, as I said before, we don't think that we'll go to God and ask for something not thinking that he's going to grant it to us. He's not, we're not going to receive anything of God. Why is that? Because we're not going in faith, as the scripture said just a couple of verses ago. We've got to go to God in faith. We've got to go to God in faith that he will heal, that he'll deliver, that he'll help, that he'll, that he'll nurture, that he'll grow, that he'll do all, all these things that, that we as Christians, we should expect these things of God because it's promised right here in his word. Everything that I just listed is promised in the word of God. But we go to God in faith because of the promises in this book. We can have faith that God will deliver those things and God will pour out those blessings. And we will have the favor of God because it's all right here. So when we go and we don't believe it, that kind of indicates to me how little I believe of the word of God or how little someone else believes of the word of God. Folks, I've been just as guilty of it as you all have. Every one of us have been guilty of it. We'll go to God and ask for something or ask him to, to work in a certain life or in a certain way or whatever the case is and get up from that prayer, get up off of our knees from our prayer closet or prayer position, wherever we're at, and walk off thinking, God ain't going to do that to me. I've done it, and you have too, every one of us has. We, we need not waver like that, not when we've got God's promises right here. That should give us the boldness that 
go before the throne of grace and obtain mercy in the time of need. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man, one thing, is unstable in all his ways. Multiple things. Folks, we can't be double-minded. Christians should Christians should be the least double-minded people of anyone out there. But once again, we get that way sometimes. Like in prayer, like we were just now talking about. Although we know what God's Word says, and we know what He's promised, we'll still go to Him with wavering faith and ask Him to do things for us. I ain't saying God hates you for doing that. I'm just telling you that the Bible says not to do it. God don't hate his own. God doesn't hate those that his son uh, bled and died for. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. But he that, or a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Folks, if, we're, if, if a double-minded man is unstable in all of, his, all of his ways, does that include Christians? I don't think he was... James was talking uh, about Christians in this statement here. I think James was saying, you believers out there in the diaspora, you 12 tribes which are scattered abroad whom this letter is written to, if there are those amongst you in your congregation, in the synagogue that you're meeting in, that's where they were meeting according to James chapter 2, and you read that if there be anyone coming in their assembly, same word used there for assembly or the word used for assembly in James 2 is the same one used for synagogue throughout the rest of the New Testament. So the church was still was meeting in synagogues at this point. They hadn't built their own buildings or anything along those lines. But when, uh, but when you meet in your synagogues and there's one amongst you or there's many amongst you that are double-minded He is unstable in all of his ways. All of his ways. The Bible, folks, the word all means all. In scripture, all means all. Anyone means anyone. Everyone means everyone. Whosoever means whosoever. That's something that uh, many people in the, in the churches nowadays have, uh, have gotten, uh, gotten mixed up. Scripture says what Scripture says. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I don't think he's talking about Christians there. Christians, especially those that have been through many trials, many temptations that he was talking about here at the beginning of this chapter, especially those. Folks, the more trials we, we face, the more we face, the more stable our walk with God should be. Because, as I said before, he's brought us through one trial. Why do we not have faith that he would bring us through another one? There, and, and, and we're guilty of thinking the opposite, yes. But we hold fast to faith that God will bring us through. God will get us through this. No matter what this is, God will get us through this because he's done it so many times in the past. We're quick to forget when we go through a season of of good uh, of plenty when when the when the dry season comes along when the famine comes along we forget about all the plenty that we've had 
Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as a flower as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away, for the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion, grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. I got just a couple of minutes here. Uh, let the brother of low degree rejoice. And that he is exalted. Well, if he's in low low degree, how is he exalted? It almost seems contradictory what James is saying here, but it's not. I am exalted. Amen. Uh, it don't matter if I'm making a thousand dollars a year or a hundred thousand dollars a year. If I belong to Jesus Christ, I am exalted. Amen. And I thank God for that. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. That's present tense. He is exalted. I'm currently exalted. What's the Bible teach? What did Peter say? Put yourself under the mighty hand of God and he shall exalt you in due time. But there's commandment in that for us to put ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Not to allow God to cover us, but for us to put ourselves in the mighty hand of God. And if we're doing that, and we're in the hand of God, like so, I'm trying to hold my Bible in here. We're in the hand of God. We're depending on Him for everything. If we're in God's hand, He's got us covered with His other hand for shelter, for protection, and if that's the case, we're depending on Him to slide food in there, to slide healing in there, and anything else that we need. Put yourself under the mighty in the mighty hand of God, and He shall exalt you in due time. Humble yourself like that. The commandment in the scripture is humble yourself, not let God humble you, folks. I would ten times rather humble myself as to have God Almighty humble me. Amen. I guarantee it's a whole lot easier for me to do it myself as it is for God to do it. But the rich in that he is made low because as, a, as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. James is not saying here if you're rich you're going to hell. No more so than Jesus said that. In the gospels, Jesus just said that it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it was for a rich man to go to heaven. He didn't say it was impossible for a rich man to go. And it's not. There's plenty of people with a whole lot more money than what I got that's in heaven right now and going to hell. Plenty of people like that. What's the dangers, though? The more we have, not just money, but the more possessions we have, the more material things we have, the more friends we have, the more means that we have, the less we depend on God. That's the danger. That's the danger. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth. What is he talking about? The sun is... Uh, the wither, the wither of the grass and the flower thereof. He's talking about the, the 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 beauty of a flower, but the sun rises up and it scorches that flower. How did the how would the rich view themselves as opposed to something that looks more like a weed there in the grass? That's the brother of low degree that James wrote up just a verse or two before this. The brother of low degree is seen as a weed to those that are. Uh, uh, that are above him in class or in caste, however you want to phrase that. 
Just as the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. The rich man will fade away in his ways, not in the ways of God's. Therefore, confirming that it's not, it's not impossible for a rich person to go to heaven. It's not impossible for a rich man to be saved. But if that rich man stays in his ways, he will fade. He'll fade off into nothingness into blackness, what the Bible refers to as outer darkness. He'll fade off into hell. That's exactly where he'll fade off into if he sticks with his ways. But folks, it is no different. It is no different than a poor man that rejects Jesus Christ. They will fade off as well. They will fall